You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas from BleacherReport.com. And joining us, as always, from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's Ben Folks. Ben, CME 103. Are you ready to go? You ready to do this shit? When have I not been ready? Name well, a time. Almost every other week. Okay. The previous 102 weeks. Well, but I I fake it pretty well, I think. You can fake it till you make it, bro. You That's can what tell they say. that I'm not ready because I I show up here just looking like hell, but looking like a a a, a celebrity mugshot, a terrible <laughs> celebrity mugshot gone wrong. Yeah, but for the people out there in uh, podcast radio land, for all they know, shit, I'm over here looking like Alan Thick or something, just all <laughs> smoothed down, ready to go. Wait a second, hold on. So that's my ideal version. Like that. That's the guy who is when I think of somebody who's really put together, has all their shit, you know, right where they're supposed to be. Alan Thick. That guy looks like a professional. The, your ideal version of yourself is Alan Thick. Look, let's not lie to each other. I think we both know that if you could replace me on this podcast with Alan Thick, you'd do it in a heartbeat. You don't mean Robin Thick, though, his son and uh, R and B singing star. You mean uh, no, man, the dad from Growing Pains. Wow. Come on. You know, come to think of it, I wish I could get Alan Thick for this show. See? I would replace you so fast. And I believe he was a therapist as well. <laughs> Your head would spin. Ben, the music from this week's podcast comes to us from listener Santiago, Santiago Matthews. And he writes, quote, I'm not in a band or anything. I just post random stuff on SoundCloud. <laughs> More proof that we will just put any motherfucker's music on this podcast. I listened to a few seconds of it. It's not bad. I think it's going <laughs> to work out good. Great. This is going to be good. Uh, in any case, if you like what you hear, you can find his stuff at, oddly enough, SoundCloud.com slash Santiago's music. And hey, if you want to just go to a garage sale and buy a barely working Casio keyboard and thump on it a little bit and send it into the podcast, Chad will probably put it on the show. Damn straight. Uh, you know, as always, we'll put a link up to that on comainevent.com when we get this uh, episode posted. So uh, you can go there and uh, check that out if you if you so desire. As usual, three rounds this week in the Co-Main Event podcast. In round number one, so Matt Brown is just going to go out there, come back from the dead against Eric Silva, put those ass whippings down to their maximum effect, and then be all... I don't know. I didn't even think it was that great of a fight. Pretty Matt Brown. Matt Brown. And in round number two, Eddie Alvarez is concussed. Man, I give up. Zufa wins forever. Ken Shamrock never existed. Dana never flip-flopped on TRT. And Randy Couture was just a scumbag who stabbed his business partners in the back. And in round number three... So, assuming that Bellator doesn't just curl up and die like a diseased animal after this weekend's pay-per-view crashes and burns. Jesus. Where do we go from here? Wow. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But right now, like we always do about this time, let's do a little listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail uh, comes to us from John Joe Carter, and he writes, Colin McGregor has confirmed he is looking past Cole Miller. Is this justified, or you do, do you see it as a potential problem? Now, I would like to point out before we, be, we begin this discussion, speaking of overlooking people, 
I think the guy that John Joe Carter is going for here is Conor McGregor, not Colin McGregor. He might have meant Colin McGoober. Maybe he went Colin McGoober. That's right. Okay. That's acceptable. Uh, but yeah, uh, as you may know, Ben, a recent media appearance by one Conor McGregor who, you know, uh, speaking of dudes that have awesome Wikipedia pictures, you know, we were looking at Phil Davis. Oh, yeah? Walking down the street with his shirt tucked into his pants and his sunglasses on, like, oh, what? Is somebody taking a picture of me right now? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, Connor McGregor keeping wow. it pretty real in his, uh, in his picture with the bow tie and like, looks the like sunglasses indoors, sun sunglasses indoors, and then like the hang loose, uh, Chuck Liddell kind of hand gesture. Yeah, the, going the, on the there. hang loose hand gesture with the facial expression that says, I will fucking murder you. Like just completely opposite facial to, to hand gesture kind of thing going on there. But I dig it. So yeah, in the main event of uh, UFC Fight Night 46, that one's over in Dublin, uh, Conor McGregor is going to take on Jeremiah Cole Miller. And uh, he's not sweating him, as he has said during recent media appearances. Well, that's kind of his thing though, right? Like he, that's... What Conor McGregor does, he's the super cocky guy who talks a whole lot of shit and people eat it up. So, uh, you know, Danny Downs pointed this out in one of the recent trading shots things that we did where you know he says people talk a lot about looking past this guy or whatever. And the only thing that matters is whether you look past him when you're training, like w that you look past him in the sense that you're not training hard enough for him. You're not taking him seriously as opponent to get up there in an interview and say, yeah, I'm looking past this guy. I mean, in a sense, isn't everybody who's not either fighting for or defending a title doing that they're all thinking about like where they want to be eventually you know at least some of the time right. there's plenty of hours in the day to think many different things is what i'm saying as long as they're still training hard and like planning for this fight i wouldn't worry too much about it yeah the uh, the whole concept of looking past someone that you're training to fight is kind of a slippery one to me i mean i guess there have been notable uh incident incidences where uh somebody just won't like you said train very hard because they think that their opponent is uh isn't going to be very good but uh, but i always think like man you got one thing one thing you're supposed to do and you got like eight weeks to get ready for it like Unless you're uh, training Mark Coleman style in your front room during commercials of uh, your favorite <laughs> programs, like uh, probably you should get the work done since that's kind of the whole deal. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point to make. Uh, by the way, speaking of Conor McGregor and Colin McGoober, did you happen to see the picture he posted on his Twitter of him like a 16-year-old oh, yes. yes. Conor McGregor ambushing Chuck Liddell for a photo at an event in Dublin. And he looks really excited like to be because he just kind of dove on Chuck Liddell, I think, and had his friend take the picture really quickly. And Chuck Liddell has this horrified expression on his face as if he is staring off into the void and seeing his own death. Right. It's hard to tell with Chuck Liddell, though. It is. like he could be freaked out by Conor McGregor or he could just be watching something really exciting on the television in the bar where they're Right. Because he makes that face a lot. He does. But it's just such a great... Great contrast between Conor McGregor, super excited, hey, here I am with Chuck Liddell, uh, who is thinking about the horror of human existence. Uh, well, let's talk about Conor McGregor real quick before we move on to the next question, because my thing with Conor McGregor right now, and I kind of agree, uh, you know, we published the uh, the unverified listener mail rant of the week this yes, week which was in a the good Breakfast one. of Champions. It was a good one. It was from a guy in Ireland who was pissed 
that Conor McGregor against Cole Miller was going to main event this card in uh, Dublin because, you know, he was kind of coming at it from just the MMA fan perspective of being like, Conor McGregor hasn't fought anybody. Like, wh- how, like, how is he in the main event of this card? It just frankly, because he's, he's Irish and they, the UFC thinks that Irish people are just going to eat that up. Like, I think that's a valid criticism. Like, Conor McGregor has not fought really anybody in the UFC. He's got wins over Marcus Brimage and Max Holloway, but I'm kind of at the point with the guy where, where I'm coming around to what I think is probably a popular idea, and that is like, let's wait to see if this guy beats some people before we start putting a lot of stock in all the trash talk. Yeah, well, I think the really good point that this unverified listener mail rant uh, made was, hey, UFC, thanks for bringing a Cage Warriors card, essentially, to double. Like, yeah, we've seen this guy. We know this guy. Like, just because you can't just throw it out there and be like, hey, he's Irish, you're Irish. Here you go. Eat it up. It's the same thing that we heard from the fans of Brazil who were like, hey, man, we want to see John Jones, too. Like, it's not just – you don't just have to take a bunch of dudes from Rio and, and have them fight some dudes from Omaha and think that that's necessarily going to satisfy us. Like, we're MMA fans as well as Brazilians. Like, same thing going on over there in Ireland. I, I totally see that point. Second piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Matt Webb. He writes – It seems every single time we have a UFC event now directly after or before, hell, even during, the Diaz brothers are mentioned or talked about of their status on a weekly basis. Nick's retired and Nate wants more damn money than Dana White is willing to give. They are both amazing fighters and are my personal favorites ever since I saw Nick bitch slap Robbie Lawler before he sent him face first to the canvas or when Nate submitted Kurt Pellegrino and threw up the double fuck yous. But their divisions have fighters who need credit where credit is due and the sport is passing them by. Is consistent talking about Nick and Nate worth it due to their inactivity? Should we all just move on or does the welter lightweight divisions need the Diaz brothers that damn bad? And then in all caps, discuss this shit. And frankly, I just want to point out that I feel like I did a really good job reading that, <laughs> considering that it's written almost entirely without punctuation. You did, you did the best that you could. I feel I'll, like I'll I really, that. I soldiered, soldiered on and, and got through that. Well, I feel like this is one of those things where we start talking about whether we should be talking about something as much as we are, when really there must be a reason. You know, it's not like this just happened on accident. It's because, for one thing, there's kind of a a void in both of those divisions it feels for lightweight and welterweight for uh like we want some kind of superstar or charisma that's not really there uh with a lot of the fighters we currently have and people just love the diaz brothers those dudes are super interesting in a weird way uh and this ongoing little contract spat about where nate diaz wants more money and the ufc just wants to scrub him off the rankings and pretend like he doesn't exist now uh, I mean, that is a legitimately interesting thing that's going on. So I understand why people want to talk about it. Yeah, uh, that that happened actually after we recorded the last podcast, as most news does happen. Uh, the uh, UFC pulled Nate Diaz and TJ Grant off the uh, lightweight rankings, claiming inactivity. Uh, you wrote a thing about it on MMA Junkie. We, we wrote another thing about it in the Breakfast of Champions this past week. Uh, Which you can totally still sign up for. By you the can way. totally sign up for that. Uh it seems weird since uh, there are so many more inactive fighters still on the UFC rankings, right? Like Nate right. Diaz just fought last November. Right. Uh, we still and he got, put that ass whooping down to its maximum effect. Yes, he did. We we still got people like Kat Zingano and Stefan Struve hanging around the uh, the the uh, 
the rankings and uh, those people have been inactive for far longer. So it does seem like there's some uh, extracurricular stuff going on here, like the UFC trying to send a message uh, to the Diaz camp, which I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's true. And if it is, that seems like a weird way to do it. Like, that seems like it would be effective uh, if you did it to someone like John Jones someone who you know that their place in the sport is really important to them and it would kind of itch at them that they weren't uh, on the UFC official rankings. It strikes me that the Diaz brothers are just going to be like, man, fuck that. Who cares? Yeah, that does seem like the they went and tried to do that to the people who would give the least fucks about it. But, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff going on with those rankings. Because, like, you look at... Anderson Silva is still ranked number one. Yeah, he's the number the, one in the, contender. In the middleweight division, right? Well, he's on his way back, though. Haven't you heard? He's been well, cleared to train by his doctors great. down there in L.A. I'm very happy Cleared for to get him. back to it. Uh, they and, must have seen those videos. They saw they saw the uh, Instagram video from 30 feet away of him punching that wooden punching dummy, and they were like, looks good to me. Let's yep. sign off on this yep. thing. Clean bill of health. Uh, but then George St. Pierre, who said that he was taking some time off of the sport, and maybe he'll come back, and maybe he won't. Boom. Off the rankings. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, it seems like if the USC wanted to seriously make those rankings into like a thing that we could all uh, take seriously, that you would have to institute some rules of like, here's if you've gone this long without a fight or without a fight scheduled or whatever, uh, then we kick you off the rankings. But they don't really have anything like that. And so instead, I mean, the thing that should bother people if anything bothers them at all about the the ufc rankings deal is that media members submitted these ballots and then the ufc was like you know what we decided that that guy is inactive so even though you voted for him we're taking him off and we'll just leave a blank spot on your ballot which is like yeah it kind of defeats the purpose of having like independent media members do your voting uh are you trying to suggest that the ufc might want to have a written policy about something <laughs> it's written down somewhere like an actual I'm saying, but like maybe an employee handbook. I'm saying it might not be a terrible idea. God, that seems weird. I've never thought of that before. That's that's crazy. Uh, let's move on. Next question comes to us from Scott Sherman. He writes, "Obviously, the Matt Brown versus Eric Silva fight is an instant classic and one I expect will be well covered this week. But can we carve out some time to reflect on Herb Dean's work? Refereeing is like editing. You're only supposed to notice it when it's done poorly. Without Herb Dean, that fight maybe ends with Matt Brown crumpled against the cage in agony holding his stomach and everyone wondering if it was premature. We've seen cases in the UFC and Africa lately where fights have gone on so long you start screaming for the ref to save the poor soul. Is it possible to take a fight like this, see what went right, and juxtapose it with those fights that went on too long or ended too soon to help improve the overall refereeing of MMA. Uh, obviously, we've regarded Herb Dean as one of the best guys in the business Real pro, for a Dean. long time now, and, and a guy who does seem to make the right decision more often than not. I, you know, again, I think when we talk about refereeing, we come down to this larger point that uh, it's super hard, man, yeah. and there's always going to be mistakes, uh, uh, and you know, you have to make that judgment snap call in a, in a fraction of a second that uh, that ends the entire sporting event that then cannot be restarted, which uh, uh, is one of the only sports in the world where that can happen at any time. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're a baseball umpire, you might have to make a, a ninth inning call at home plate that decides the game, but it doesn't happen suddenly in the fourth inning, uh, you know, without any warning, and then you're like, oh, I guess the game's over. Yeah, you're like, ready to go home. That pretty much only happens to MMA, MMA refs. Uh, so there's always going to be the human error present in that. Uh, however, you know, it's also kind of a fine line. I feel like uh, 
Herb Dean obviously did the right thing, letting Matt Brown recover there, and uh, he got back to his feet. But, like, if Matt Brown gets knocked out right then, then do you have a situation where Herb Dean ends up looking like Minnie Brock, uh, who let, was it Eric Koch, damn near get beat to death uh, in a couple fights before that? You know, I mean, that the, the Matt Brown-Eric Silva one, I think, uh, it really reminded me of two other fights, uh, the Ronda Rousey and Sarah McMahon fight where, you know, somebody goes down to a body shot and then a few more punches and we call it. And then the Travis Brown, Alistair Overeem fight. Uh, and it seems like maybe that's one where refs are starting to kind of get wise. Like, Hey, you get dropped with a body shot. Uh, and it hurts, but you're not going to die. Yeah. We can look at you and give you a second and wait and see, you know, what your reaction is. And it seemed like Matt Brown was walking right up to that line where if you stay motionless and take a few more punches, then they might stop it. But he seemed like he, you know, has learned, you know, the more experienced fighters, they seem to have learned that, Hey, I can take this a little bit, but I've got to move. I got to do something. Even if I put myself in a worse spot, I've got to show the ref that, I'm aware of what's going on and I'm taking some kind of action to change it. And I mean, I think that that one definitely a good ref job by, by Herb Dean. Um, but also one of those where it's so like hard to pin down what would be the, the time to stop that. It's this kind of ineffable quality that probably just comes with experience as a ref. Right. And I think you're right to bring up the Ronda Rousey, Sarah McMahon fight. I don't, do you remember who the ref was in that? Was that Herb Dean? Might have been Herb I don't, Dean. I don't remember. Uh, but I, I remember I had made a note that I wanted to talk about on the podcast after that fight that, that at least the idea that maybe body shots ought to be refereed a little bit different than, than head shots. Because yeah, immediately after that Ronda Rousey, uh, Sarah McMahon fight, I saw a lot of people making, uh, reference to the, uh, uh, Hennen Barrow, Uriah Faber stoppage. And people were like, Oh, I thought, I thought the Uriah Faber Hennon Barrow stoppage was worse, which I kind of disagreed with because in the Ronda Rousey Sarah McMahon stoppage, there wasn't really any head trauma to speak of. Uh, Sarah McMahon just got dropped with a knee to the body and then took a couple of punches on the side of the face, but they didn't seem like that they were going to, uh, end the fight right then. But, you know, the referee stepped in and stopped it. So I wonder now if that, like you said, the Matt Brown Eric Silva fight, uh, was kind of an example of that where Matt Brown got hit with two hard body shots, but was still conscious and was still, uh, in a position where it didn't seem like he was going to suffer terrible, uh, life threatening, debilitating damage. And also, uh, frankly, in a situation where he was up against the cage with his head kind of up in the air and you could definitely see that he was still conscious. Right. So it could also be that, that he benefited, uh, not only from the kind of strike that, that floored him, but also from being in a position where Herb Dean could definitely see that he was okay. Uh, also just checked it on share dog herb dean was the ref for ronda rousey sarah mcmahon see Um, i'd like to believe that herb dean is evolving learning from his past mistakes or maybe he's just a sexist and he figured oh women they can't take a body shot like that i'm calling it off i don't believe that about i don't believe it either herb Herb dean is a pretty seems too good and pure of soul yeah i I think you're right let's go to the last question this week from uh chris girardi he writes did saturday night prove that it doesn't necessarily matter whether a card is filled with big names or not did it debunk the idea of ufc oversaturation and essentially demonstrate how this is working ppvs and to a lesser extent fox fox cards are still the big names and big cards and everything else consumes the rest of the roster less people will watch the fight now but a no-name card doesn't necessarily mean it won't deliver. Please discuss. Thanks! Exclamation point. Which is it's nice. It's nice that Chris Girardi thanked us in advance. Rather than just ordering us answer. to discuss some shit. Uh, you know, I was kind of surprised that we got this email because I actually felt the exact opposite about this card than this email uh, suggests. Like I kind of felt like 
the way that this card played out really confirmed the idea that uh when the UFC does so many shows and they they book this fight card with 13 fights on it uh not only did it feel excruciatingly long because it was kind of poorly paced as you wrote about uh on MMA Junkie this week but i really felt like this card card suffered from the fact that that this seemed like 12 random fights and one fight that we cared about because the the preceding fights before max brown or Matt Brown, Max Brown, I don't even know who that is. Uh, Matt, that's, that's his brother, he crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, before that fight, we had seen some other really good fights, you know? Costa Philippou knocks out Lorenz Larkin, and uh, uh, Darren Crookshank upsets Eric Koch. But the like the, the, the overall feeling of the fight card was still, like it was super boring and going on way too long, it, like late into the night. And then you get, obviously, Matt Brown and Eric Silva come back out and kind of like save the day and turn in this awesome fight. But it kind of struck me that like one of the reasons that you think Matt Brown and Eric Silva is such an awesome fight is that you care about it. You care about Matt Brown. You understand the situation that he's been in for the last nine months where it seemed like he had built up this uh, momentum for himself, like he was on the verge of getting a title shot and then he hurt his back and had to take nine months off and the welterweight division kind of moved on without him, frankly. And uh, then he has this comeback comeback fight against Eric Silva that where it's kind of like an all or nothing thing for him. Like if he lost to Eric Silva, you could pretty much uh, write into history the fact that he was probably never going to get back to the to the point that he had been right before he was supposed to fight Carlos Condit. So like that fight had context. That fight had 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 a storyline and something that we were supposed to care about. The rest of it was just dudes punching each other in the face, which is fine. There's which, nothing wrong like with that's that. That's what this emailer is trying to say that. The the actual, like, fights themselves, the things that we saw in the fights uh, proved, at least from his point of view, that it doesn't really matter that much who it is. You know, guys that where there's not a whole lot of context where you don't exactly know right off the top of your head what they're fighting for, what the stakes of each bout. They can still go on there and, and put on some fun fights and stuff that people want to see. Which is true. It is true. But the problem is, though, that you don't know when that's going to happen and when the opposite is going to happen, when it's just going to be fights without context and unclear stakes and they turn out to be kind of boring or totally suck. Like, that happens, too. Uh, so that's the part where if you're the promoter and you're trying to get people interested in this stuff – you can't really bank too much on that because you don't know. You don't know how the fights are going to turn out. Even when you put together fights that look great on paper and you're talking about how awesome it's going to be, you don't fucking know. You're hoping. You're hoping it's going to be that good. And this, though, it does have the problem of, like, if you're trying to get people into your product enough to pay for the pay-per-view stuff, like, this should uh, ostensibly be the thing that does that, right? Like, uh, we were at a, a brewery early Saturday afternoon before this fight card, and we're talking to one of our friend's girlfriends uh, who was talking about how she's a big fan of the, the UFC. Um, she didn't know that there was a fight on that night. Right. You know, and that's the thing. It's like, okay, so – and, you know, I was hanging out with uh, one of my wife's friends who was over at our house and was watching this. And she's, you know, she's into sports. She might get into the UFC. She knows it. She, she knows a couple of the fighters. She went to a middle school with Sarah McMahon, as a matter of fact. Oh. Uh, and, uh, you know, so she's watching it and everything. Here's someone – like, these are the kind of opportunities you get. Like, okay, somebody sits down. They watch your product. What do you got there? Uh, and th those are the opportunities where you should be trying to turn people into fans that will stick with you and pay for your product later on. And you don't necessarily do that if you're just kind of like looking around at your roster and going, oh, what do we have left over that we're not using for the pay-per-views? Throw those guys on there in Cincinnati. It's going to be a 12-hour long fight card. 
Yeah, and and frankly, if you're if the only thing that you judge a fight card by is whether or not the fights turn out to be exciting, number one, that's a really easy way to reverse engineer a justification to have a terrible fight card because after it's over, you can be like, check it out, it actually was awesome. But like, if that's what you're going to judge a fight card by, man, you could watch any MMA promotion in the world. Yes, every MMA promotion that puts on MMA fights has exciting fights. You could go to the Hilton Garden Inn in Missoula, Montana. And watch a fight in a tiny makeshift cage in the ballroom there. Great venue. And Great venue to watch a fight. You're going to see some exciting fights. Like, you're going to see exciting fights on Bellator on Friday night. You're going to see exciting fights on whichever random independent MMA promotion has a show on Access TV. The point is, in the UFC, we expect more than that. Like, yeah. the, the UFC, even though it, it really tries to pretend that the reason that it's uh, you know, the best MMA promotion in the world is that it puts on the most exciting fights. I don't think that's actually true. Like, I think the, the reason that we regard it as the biggest and best MMA promotion in the world, aside from pure production values, is that it puts on the most meaningful fights. And, uh, you know, when you watch a fight card like Saturday nights, there was only one really meaningful fight on it. And it was Matt Brown and Eric Silva. It turned out to be awesome. But instead of just being a good fight, now we regard it as a great fight because we had context. Well, also, uh, if you go watch the fight that's at the Hilton Garden in Missoula, you can drink a bunch of $4 microbrews. So that's it. That's, that, that's also something to factor in. Hmm. Well, that, that makes that more attractive to me. I know that. Um, well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern, you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do that. You can go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Uh, you can also sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter while you're over there. Get that every Friday morning while you eat your cornflakes. Uh, what did we forget? Oh, uh, White Elephant Essay Contest. That's right. One week, right? One week from tomorrow is, your shit is the deadline. We've got some good ones coming in. Uh, someone sent one in today that cites two of my articles, which I feel like flattery might get you everywhere, my Man, friend. I'm, I'm going to see if I can find some way to <laughs> undermine that. Uh, as for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, Matt Brown, and Eric Silva went out there and worked a crackerjack in the main event of UFC Fight Night 40 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, kind of a fight with a little bit of everything. Uh, kind of a fight that uh, may have been a perfect metaphor for most of Matt Brown's career and, uh, you know, a big win for him as a guy who was coming back from nine months off and uh, needed to reestablish some momentum in the in the welterweight division. Uh, as a guy who should still be considered a contender. Um, I feel like people lost their damn minds a little bit after it was over, uh, insinuating that it was among the greatest fights in UFC history. Not true. Don't know that I'm going to go quite that far. Perhaps one of the greatest first rounds in UFC history. I'll yeah. give it that. Yeah. It was it's, a, a, it's in the mix for the greatest first rounds. It was a hell UFC of history. a first round and a fight that uh, will probably end up, I think, on fight of the year ballots at the end of the year. If it doesn't, oh, boy. 
we got lucky because there's going to be some good fights coming up. Um, what were your impressions here? This was a this was a fight that kind of brought this fight card back from the dead. I thought. Yeah, it was. Well, I mean, there were good fights throughout this fight card, like the Costa Filippo Lorenz Larkin. That was one where a couple guys going out there and throwing the bungalows, and uh, you know, Darren Crookshank, he looked good. But yeah, you were, just because it the the card drug on for so long that then by you know by the time we got there. It's like you know, past, well past midnight for the people on the East Coast, so you needed a little something, a little shot in the arm there, and you got it. I mean, the amazing thing to me was that you look at the first two minutes of that round, and all you're thinking is, can Matt Brown survive this round? Obviously, he's going to lose this round. Can he just survive it and start again with a clean slate in round two and hope to turn things around? And then not only does he survive it, but he comes back and arguably wins that round. Yeah, that's had, incredible. Some people on Twitter uh, uh, said maybe we should score that eight eight, like it was a <laughs> it was a ten eight round for both guys, which I thought was a uh, uh, f- amusing. Um, the, you know, and you're right, it was it was like kind of a, a, a hair raising round, and and there was a moment in there where it seemed like the uh, the odds makers had got it exactly right because Eric Silva was supposed to be the two to one favorite here, which surprised the hell out of surprised us. Surprised everyone comes out and uh, drops Matt Brown with that body kicks, and then you know almost stops him up against the fence like we talked about in listener mail, and then gets a, gets on his back and rides his back for about two minutes where he's looking for a choke, and that's when I remembered. A fun fact that I had forgot to bring up the the week before, and that's that nine of Matt Brown's career losses are by submission. And that's the point where I was sitting at home and I was like, oh, God damn it. When Matt Brown loses, this is how it happens. Then it seemed like it was playing out right before our very eyes. But it's usually not like that. Like that, that is usually not how he gets submi- submitted uh, when or at least not how he has historically gotten submitted. He seems like really susceptible to. Uh, guillotine chokes and stuff that's where he's being overly aggressive or like you know desperate or something and diving in and putting himself into something this was something where he's already hurt and eric silva you know takes his back and looks for the choke and that's i think where eric silva lost it is because he, he not only you know it's one thing to take the guy's back but uh he took his back and let you know matt brown get into a situation where you're doing like the jujitsu guy thing where you got his back but he's still on top and he can kind of control your wrists a little bit he can fight off the choke uh and he can start to kind of detach his back from your chest and that's when you start to lose it and it also puts you in a position where you're just hand fighting uh looking for that choke the whole time and you're not doing any damage i mean he's hurt like that's the time to seize the opportunity to to get on top you know, maybe if you if you don't get that choke right away, switch, go for mount, and and try and brutalize him a little bit because you know the guy's hurt. Maybe he's still woozy. Like it seems like that was the the big like psychological moment for Eric Silva when he didn't get that, and when Matt Brown got that up, you could see it in his body language. That kind of like, oh damn it, here here we go. Now now we're in a fight. Yeah, that was that was his moment. And in my defense. Matt Brown has three rear naked choke losses, so okay. one third of his submission losses are by rear naked choke. Yeah, but I think what only one of those was in the UFC, right? Is that all we're counting now? Okay, I'm just, just saying, just you know, he was just some some crazy kid uh, in the minor leagues before some that. Some jerk off the street. Speaking of which, did you watch the video that I sent you where Matt Brown is talking about how he was in the club yes. the night that Dimebag Daryl got killed? Yes. That wow. Was, yeah. that, what an unbelievable story. And yeah. a story that really reveals a lot of things about Matt Brown. Yeah, in a bunch of different ways, too. 
For yes. one thing, the story start. The reason he was in the club was because he got suspended from work. Yes, which is how the story begins. <laughs> yes. where he's like, "Well, I got suspended from work. They had a thing like you show up late too many times, you get suspended. So like, I was planning on working, but I I couldn't work, so I was just like walking around drinking, pretty much, is what he said. Which at that point, that kind of paints a picture right there. Yeah, it's in like and a of Richard itself. Ford short story and right as there. As far as I'm concerned. Not necessarily a negative picture. <laughs> no, I'm into it. I want to hear where that story goes. If you start the off other like awesome part about that story is is well, Matt Brown goes into the club where Damage Plan is playing. Uh, another thing that I think is awesome of Matt Brown, he's just wandering around town, nothing to do. Finds out yeah. this cool band is playing. He decides to go in and watch. Uh, he sees Dimebag Daryl get shot, and then he's hiding from the gunman. And he talks about how he had a moment where he's like hiding behind a pillar, and this guy is like walking through the club with a gun, and he thinks to himself. I'm just going to confront this guy. Like, I'm going to get up. I'm not going to die running from this guy. Like, I'm going to get up and confront this guy with the gun, which makes you think, like, maybe he really does think he's immortal. Like, maybe that's not just his nickname and the tattoo across his stomach. Like, maybe that uh, has a little bit more to do with his mindset than, than sometimes we give it credit for. Or maybe he'd been walking around drinking all day. That also could be the case. Uh, but then, you know, he lucks out. The guy gets shot by an off-duty cop and uh, scene. Happy and, ending. Yes, that's right. Happy ending for everyone. Uh, boy, where are we? We're talking well, about this fight. Okay, so we, we talked a little bit about the first round. Matt Brown, once he gets up from that, that choke attempt, which is the, the huge mistake for Eric Silva, uh, who still seems like a talented fighter. Like, he, he knows the moves. He's got a lot of skill. Uh, but maybe, like... His mind just isn't where it needs to be. He's not making the right choices in there sometimes. Uh, but when Matt Brown gets up and you can see Eric Silva kind of deflated, uh, and that's when Matt Brown comes on to him. And he then he does the – I was reading Jack Slack's breakdown of it, and he makes a, a really good point about the thing that got him in trouble in the first place was – backing himself up against the fence, giving Eric Silva that space and getting kicked in the stomach, right? And so then what we see through from him the rest of the first round and, and definitely in the start of that second round is getting right up in Eric Silva's grill and just constantly attacking him. And even then, it seemed like Eric Silva would counter and catch him to the body and you could see that he still hurt there. And it yeah. seemed like, like yes. Silva did not realize the extent to which uh, you know he could really tag him there and still, like that was the only time he got any kind of reprieve from that assault was when... And you hit him to the body, and then he takes a step back and leaves you alone for a second. And it seemed like Eric Silva's response to that was, okay, let me take this opportunity to rest rather than let me take this opportunity to attack and turn the tables on him. Yeah, Eric Silva looks like a guy that you would cast in a movie if you were making a film about like a benevolent MMA fighter. Like you won't you like not like maybe one who's also like a like a monk or something right, right like not a not an evil MMA fighter who looks like Keith Jardine yeah. or something like a bald big yeah. goatee no, Keith Jardine would be one of the dudes he beats yes, like in the exactly. single night sixteen man tournament or you something. know especially what he's doing with his hair right now he's got a little bit of a Bruce Lee look going on but a dude who looks super good getting off the bus and then comes out and doesn't seem like he's really putting it all together. Yeah. He's right only now. doing this because he needs the money for his mom's surgery. Yeah, his mom's operation. Uh, but you're right, like, kind of troubling, uh, really, like, how hurt Matt Brown got by those body shots. Like, I don't know if that if that was just a lingering effect of those two so, yeah. really hard kicks that he took in the first round, but you'd think if you were uh, a future Matt Brown opponent, uh, some some lights might have gone on there in your in your brain well let's think about who you know future matt brown opponents uh 
I like when, you know, he stands there in the center of the cage afterwards and asks Cincinnati who they want to see fight for a title shot. Uh, and then it's a, it's a thing there where people aren't really sure what they're supposed to say. Like, are right. you supposed to say you or are you supposed to say Matt Brown? Like, it was better well, than yes. when, it was better than the time when Paul Buentello tried to get the crowd to say the last line of his catchphrase, yes. which people was, do not know your catchphrase. don't fear me, fear the consequences, yeah. which is a shitty catchphrase to begin with. Uh, but then he tried to get the crowd to say it and it was just like crickets. And it was one of the, of all of the great moments in UFC post fight interview history. It is one of the most embarrassing. I just imagine that when Matt Brown was doing that, there was at least some guy in the front row who was like, Tyron Woodley. Oh, we're not doing that. I thought we were all okay. No, we're all just going to say Matt Brown. Okay, fine. Sorry guys. Sorry. I do have to say also before we talk about what's next for Matt Brown, one of my legitimately favorite parts of this entire uh, fight and the aftermath was the look on Matt Brown's face when John Anik suggested that he had just turned in one of the greatest performances in UFC history. It was so Matt Brown. He looked at him like, dude, you must be crazy. <laughs> and then he's like, I don't know. I didn't even think that was a great, that good of a fight. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's Matt Brown for you there, though. Yeah. yeah. Just so Matt Brown. And I think that's like one of the reasons why people can connect with him is that yeah. he's got this super uh, everyman quality. And yet he goes out there and does uh, very, uh, you know, almost unbelievable, courageous stuff during his fights. Well, and you look at him and you would think that, you know, talent wise, athleticism, you know, he's already made it farther than he probably should have. You know, he doesn't seem like those guys, the other guys at the top of the welterweight division, like guys like Johnny Hendricks, who, you know, has this great wrestling credentials or, or you know, GSP, who seems like just some great super athlete. He just seems like a really overachieving tough guy who you keep expecting that he'll hit the ceiling for you know, his skill set and his his natural abilities and he keeps surprising you a little bit, you know, and I think that that's an easy thing for people to connect with that you got. And he also, you know, he has that good story of just kind of not only coming back in his life from you know problems with drugs, but coming back in his career from the time when it seemed like Matt Brown needed to get cut yesterday. And now he's on this great winning streak. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff there for people to connect with when it comes to Matt Brown. You still wonder how far can that dude go though? Yeah, and I think, uh, like I said earlier about people losing their minds, there was uh, uh, some of that going on in terms of what Matt Brown had accomplished here in beating Eric Silva. People were talking about how, uh, you know, maybe that he should get a title shot. Uh, and I don't really think that because he still hasn't totally beat someone that I would con consider a a really hardcore top 10 guy. But I think with this win over Eric Silva, the thing that he did was prove that he can be that guy who should get a high profile fight against someone, uh, you know, against a serious contender, someone who's, who's in the, in the top 10. Now, uh, the hard part I think is going to be for him. Most of the guys above him in the UFC rankings already have stuff going on. Well, yeah, And it feels like he was already there. He had that fight booked against Carlos Condit. Like that seemed like the fight, that we're saying he should get now, like a fight against a top 10 guy, a serious contender, the fight to help us sort out, Hey, are, are you going to be a overachieving tough guy? Or are you going to be like a legit contender that needs to be taken seriously? And then, you know, he got hurt. And so he got this fight with Eric Silva where, you know, winning it, even in this awesome fashion that he wins it in, it, kind of just kind of keeps him where he is, which is we still need to see him fight somebody. I mean, Hector Lombard uh, seems like a possibility. Yeah, somebody said Hector Lombard on Twitter. That's a and tough I, fight. I got to be honest with you. I don't dislike that. I yeah. That'd be a good fight all the way around. Um, also, though, man, if there was ever if Nick Diaz is ever going to come out of retirement and, and fight one of these fucking hitters, bro, now is the time. Matt Brown and Nick Diaz. 
And well, that would be amazing. But also, like, would fucking explode. If 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 Nick Diaz is sitting around in Stockton thinking he's going to get a title shot, like his head's not going to spin around for Matt Brown, man. Man, give him that money. That's true. Give yeah. him that, that half a million dollars. Get in there with Matt Brown. And you know, one of the problems with Matt Brown is, like we said, like most of the guys above him have fights booked, and then you look at the guys below him, and it's like, would it feel like a step back for Matt Brown to fight Tarek Safadine or yes. Kelvin Gastelum yes. or you know, Gunnar Nelson might not be a bad fight because that would be a cool uh, kind of litmus test for both those guys. Uh, f- That's find, true. Find out what they're made of, uh, and then Ryan Lafleur is also down there. Um, I would think a, if a dude I who profile wise would feel like a step back, but a guy who has been tearing it up as of late. If I'm Matt Brown's management, uh, there's no way I let him be talked into a fight with Gunnar Nelson. Yeah, that's probably, way too many ways for that to go wrong for you. That's probably true. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him, because like I said, uh, most of the guys above him are, are either booked or injured. Um, so let's do uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week? Well, I know we're going to end up talking us some Bellator here for the rest of the show, so we might as well ease into it. With this quote from Tito Ortiz, uh, talking about uh, Alexander Slomenko, who he will fight at the Bellator pay-per-view. You know what? I still want to fight Rampage, but that's for later. Right now, all I'm thinking is Slomenko. I'm eating Slomenko. I'm sleeping Slomenko. I'm shitting Slomenko. Are you fucking... You're not shitting Slomenko. Come on, man. You're not fucking kidding me. You couldn't have thought of another thing there? I know the, the trope people like to do. I'm eating, sleeping... I don't know. I'm I'm training. I don't Come on, man. Even the dude who did the thing about how he trains hard, he fights hard and he fucks hard didn't take it to some kind of, you know, excretitious functions out this motherfucker. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, that's Schlitting, shitting Schlomenko. That sounds like the world's worst advertising slogan. Yeah. Eat Schlomenko. What are we We can't put that sound bite on the on the broadcast Tito. Come on. Well, Ben, I know that you watched this week as Soa the Hulk Pulele extended his overall win streak to 11 straight fights and three fights since coming back to the UFC when he went in there and took on former EFC Africa heavyweight champion Ruan Potts. Uh, a guy who came in to make his UFC debut at age 36, so fitting very much into the heavyweight division. But uh, the most impressive shit that Soa the Hulk Pulele did was not knocking out Ruan Potts. It was first kissing the referee. Are you fucking kidding me? Kissing on his head like a child who he's putting to bed. Second, donning the cap of the Cincinnati Bengals, which is just some straight-up professional wrestling babyface shit. You want to get the crowd on your side, come out in a Bengals jersey. And then, uh, in lieu of a real post-fight interview, crooning some Josh Turner lyrics, which I guess was also was his walkout song, as if to just let everybody know what his karaoke jam was going to be at the after-party. Are you fucking kidding me, Hulk? So are the Hulk Pulele. Are you trying to get on Team Dundas? Because you're close. You're <laughs> wait, close. Wait, so you're, you're, are you fucking kidding me is about how much you are into all those things? Are you fucking kidding me doesn't have to be negative. That's the mistake that a lot of people made. Oh. <laughs> are you fucking kidding me can be awesome. It can be, are you fucking kidding me? And you think, uh, you think a guy coming out to a weirdly sensual country song is awesome? Yes. A hundred percent. 100% awesome. I think you well, just told us some stuff about you. Ruan Potts, uh, you want to talk about walkouts. Here's a guy who had already fought in EFC Africa, so clearly does not fear death. Uh, he comes <laughs> out to the uh, Eminem song. I think he, he came out to Lose Yourself. Uh, 
and then, you know, gets horribly knocked out in a very freakish and like uh, kind of uh, weird way. It's almost as if he didn't even bother to read uh, the essays from the last White Elephant essay contest. I mean, I know that can't be true. I know, obviously, every MMA fighter read those essays because they're very important to just the, the canon of MMA literature. But, uh, man, some people clearly haven't learned to write lessons yet. Hubris. Yeah. That's what it was. And you go out there and get knocked out. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, Bellator just can't catch a break. No, sir. Just a week before, basically, the, the pay-per-view, the one that they're reloading to try and do after they had to cancel the last one, the most pay-per-view-worthy bout on the card has essentially been scrapped. Eddie Alvarez uh, was apparently injured in training a few weeks back, suffered a concussion. He's out of that fight. Now Michael Chandler will fight for the interim title against Will Brooks. Uh, and Rampage Jackson versus King Mo Lawal, that's been promoted to the main event, still charging the same amount of money for it. What say you? Well, before we get into this, I just want to read you what is at the top of the Bellator 120 Rampage versus King Mo Wikipedia page as we, as we record this. It's a, there's a tag here from Wikipedia, an official tag. It says, this article is being considered for deletion in accordance with Wikipedia's deletion policy. Please share your thoughts on the matter at this article's entry on the articles for deletion page. So that's a bad sign. When a few days before you're <laughs> uh, going to put on this pay-per-view, Wikipedia is considering deleting the entry about it. I don't think that's... Yeah. You know, they didn't do that for UFC 168. Are you sure? Well, no, I guess I, I don't know for sure. I'm just guessing. There you go. Um, well, this is the time you would put your tinfoil hat on, right? If you're waiting for an opportunity to show off uh, your Illuminati tattoo and uh, get into some serious conspiracy talk. But if you were a conspiracy theorist, would you get an Illuminati tattoo? Or don't, would you think- don't. Come on. Don't fact check my jokes. <laughs> okay. It's just... Uh, Obviously, Eddie Alvarez is involved in this horrible and protracted contract dispute with Bellator, comes in, wins the title, uh, gets booked in this uh, uh, main event pay-per-view fight against Michael Chandler, and then comes down with the physical ailment that may be the hardest in the human body to properly diagnose. Are you suggesting that... Eddie Alvarez suffered a concussion when a huge briefcase of money hit him in the head. <laughs> no, is that what you're saying? No, because that would be dumb. And everything we know about Eddie Alvarez suggests that he's not the type of dude that would go in for something like that. Plus, wouldn't he want to go ahead and get this fight right. over with, make yeah. money that way, and this then concussion be free really only to, to sign with the UFC? Really only prolongs his his time in Bellator. So it seems like most of the. Uh, the conspiracy talk is off base. You'd think Eddie Alvarez wanted to get this fight in the books and make a little money off the Bellator pay-per-view and then uh, sail off into a tough coaching gig across from BJ Penn or somebody. I don't know. Uh, so this this is probably a, a, a bummer for him and uh, a situation that really makes you wonder about uh, a Bellator pay-per-view card that was probably going to die a slow and painful death of the unwatched anyway. 
and now uh, maybe seems like one that will do even even more poorly than we had anticipated. It's just such a sad irony that the last time when you canceled the pay-per-view, it was because you lost one of the least interesting fights, one of the ones that people I thought were were just kind of like, really, you're doing that? You're doing Tito Ortiz and Rampage? I guess, okay. It's not exactly something that we're all dying to see, but... I guess if you're just going to throw it on there, tack it onto the pay-per-view, if, if we were going to pay for Eddie Alvarez and Michael Chandler, I guess, what's the harm? Uh, they lose that fight and they cancel it. They lose this fight, the one that was the thing that was getting people in the door, and they say, okay, no, we're, we're, we're charging ahead here. Which I guess you have to, right? If you're Bellator, you can't you can't cancel another one. No, no I mean, one will ever show up yeah, to your party again. You cancel, you cancel a, a second pay per view, and probably the world's traditional pay per view providers would put you on some kind of a list that they they wouldn't take a check from you in the future. Yeah. Like the equivalent to that list you're on down at the gas yes. station. Yeah. yeah, where they have your fake ID tacked up on the wall behind <laughs> the counter, like a like a warning a to the others. Yeah. Yes, a warning to the other kids that are going to come in and try to buy beer. Uh, I know that neither you nor I are real uh, buy rate numbers ratings guys. What do you have any sense of what would be Seven. a success here? Oh, if they got seven buys. That would be uh, a, a good night. I don't know. I mean. I would think you got to think that they are keeping their expectations realistic, right? I, I mean, well, now, yeah, Jesus, now they can't even have expectations, can they? Yeah, I mean, if Bellator has learned anything from this past week is that having expectations will burn your ass. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I would guess that if they topped, they went over a hundred thousand pay-per-view buys, they would probably be pretty ecstatic with that. Uh, but who knows if that's going to happen? I mean. The thing is, with this one, you look at the card, and if you're asking yourself, like, what is the, what am I paying for? What do, what do I feel like I just have to see that's worth me giving my money for? I mean, the Michael Chandler versus Will Brooks, it seemed like, uh, Will Brooks did his best to help out the company by jumping on the conference call and yelling at people who dared suggest, uh, dared even question whether this was worth the money, uh, referring to them as a bunch of cheap ass internet trolls. Uh, but, so what, if you're telling me the main event is Rampage Jackson and Mo Lawal, so that's ostensibly what I should be paying for, right? Like, that's the thing that should really get me to plop down my credit card. And yeah, I do want to see that one. Somehow, something about that one, though, makes me feel like, because of all the the yelling and pro-wrestling-esque things that have gone on there, like, I feel weird supporting that. I feel like I would be more supportive of it if they hadn't tried to play that aspect of it up. Because it does seem like a semi-interesting fight. Yeah, it does. It's, and it's, I think, don't you think it's one that, uh, Mo LaWall absolutely has to win if he wants to carry on, uh, being a guy uh, with Mo LaWall's stature in the sport? Because he, you know, he's a guy that, that, uh, we've always, I think, uh, industry wide, we've kind of afforded him a lot of respect because he comes from this great wrestling base. And, uh, he's a guy who seems to have all the tools and he's obviously a really smart guy and a student of the sport, uh, uh, and a, a guy where you look at him and you think, like, if anybody is going to succeed, Mo LaWall has a chance because, uh, he's going to, uh, supplement these, this great base that he has and plus these physical gifts with this, this mind that seems like it really takes to fighting and, uh, uh, you know, really allows him to study and, and, and learn the sport. 
I'm not sure that he has ever really lived up to all that potential. And now that he's over in, in Bellator, he's got this opportunity about, uh, you know, against Rampage Jackson, uh, a, a guy who was considered among the best light heavyweights in the world at one time. And a guy who, ser- who still has obviously a pretty high profile among, uh, you know, a certain uh, aspect of the fan base. So like it'd be a big deal for Mola wall to win this. And I think kind of a disastrous thing for him to lose it against yeah. the Bellator cruiserweight champion. That's true. Yeah. It does seem like uh, it's way more of a must win fight for Mola wall than it is for rampage Jackson. Now the, if you move on down the card, then though, you know, you get to the interim title fight, which, you know, is as non title, a title fight as you can probably have right now. Uh, and then you get to the, your Cirque du Soleil shit. <laughs> Tito Ortiz with Alexander Slomenko, the guy he has been eating, sleeping, and shitting. Uh, that's, that's about the point where, I, when I look at this card, where I'm like, okay, all right, what, what is happening here? Uh, I mean, I'm more interested in, uh, Blagoy Ivanov and Alexander Volkov in the heavyweight tournament really? final. Really? Come on, dog. Come on. Wow. You know who those guys are? Black even if is the guy that uh uh beat Fedor in a Sambo uh competition. Oh. There you right. go. Well yeah, that gives you some profile right there. Yeah. That's nothing to fuck with. <laughs> Can't sneeze at that for sure. Um do you think that there was any talk internally at Bellator to try to uh save this card by doing something crazy, like putting trying to put Tito Ortiz and Rampage Jackson back together? Would would that have worked? Or was this, you know, once Eddie Alvarez is out, are you just kind of dealing with a lame duck here a little bit? And I guess it's also a fair question. Obviously, Eddie Alvarez versus Michael Chandler was going to bring in the hardcore fans. But, like, was Quentin Jackson against Mo Wall sort of like the default main event for, uh, quote-unquote, casual Spike TV viewers all along? I don't know. You know... I would assume that when they started to really take seriously the possibility that Eddie Alvarez might be out of the fight, uh, people at Bellator and Viacom and Spike TV entertained probably a lot of crazy options. I'd love to be a fly on the wall for, to, to hear some of those crazy options that, that were discussed. But, you know, over on Cage Potato the, today, the, I don't know who wrote it, but they suggested one night open weight tournament, which... Seems like a tough thing to put together on short notice. Yeah, probably not going to be able to clear that with the athletic commission over there in the uh, greater Nashville area. But uh, I would have watched that. Yeah, know? it's it's in, it's in like Mississippi, right? They'll, they'll do anything in Mississippi. Uh, you know, we talked about what it would do for Muhammad Lawal to beat Quentin Jackson and whether it would be disastrous for him to lose. You just tried to ask me about Alexander Shlomenko before I, I changed the subject. Like, does it do anything for Alexander Shlomenko in the, in the MMA world? If he beats Tito Ortiz, like uh, going up a weight class to fight this guy, who's obviously was one of the greats at light heavyweight, but now has been uh, uh, really, uh, you know, stumbled upon hard times during the last, I don't know, two decades or whatever of his career. You know, you bringing up the question of the is this what's the main event for the the casual Spike TV bros? Uh, maybe to them that would really mean something if you play up. Hey, he's going up weight classes, fighting this you know former legend Tito Ortiz. I think the the hardcore people will will know that that doesn't mean a ton to, to beat Tito Ortiz right now. He seems like kind of damaged goods. I think people will see that more as a sign that uh, Tito Ortiz is really done and should just stop this shit. Uh, then they will see it as a sign that Flamenco is awesome. But who knows? I mean, maybe those people, these consistent eight, nine hundred thousand people tuning into Bellator on Spike every week, 
maybe to them, uh, that will seem like a, a serious accomplishment, and then it'll really raise Alexander Slomenko's profile. I mean, I'm, I gotta say that he would be my pick in this fight. Uh, <laughs> are there odds for this thing anywhere? Do we know oh, I'm that? Sure there, I'm sure there are. Or were odds. they? I guess you would, they would be justified in having been removed, uh, given the news of the last several days. Uh, but no, you know, I think you, Shlomenko is one of those guys. Well, last time we talked about him on the, on the show, we talked about how, uh, he's got this kind of incredible, MMA record, you know, he's a, a thousand and six or whatever. And, uh, uh, yet he's not ever included in the same conversation that guys like Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez are as guys that, you know, were beaten down the door to see him in the UFC. And a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that, that, uh, the Bellator lightweight class is its strongest class. And, and Shlomenko kind of fights guys we've never heard of before, uh, at middleweight. But, uh, I don't know, man, to come, come out and look good against Tito Ortiz and, uh, maybe even do something spectacular because Shlomenko is a dude who will throw crazy spinning shit from time to time. Uh, you know, if, if he can score a highlight reel knockout, maybe it does, uh, lift his his uh his reputation in the sport a little bit. Speaking of odds, I just looked him up. I don't see any odds for the Schlemenko Tito Ortiz bout. I do see odds on uh Mola Wall and Rampage Jackson. Rampage Jackson the favorite here, minus two seventy, according to the odds I'm looking at. I would not have guessed that. Really? I would have put Mola Wall as the favorite. Huh. I feel like this is kind of Rampage's fight to lose, but uh We'll see. We'll see what happens when we when we both watch this together on Saturday night. Oh boy! One of the seven people that's gonna gonna buy this thing, and maybe that's as good a segue as any to get into round number three, where we're gonna uh, stretch our legs a little bit, take more of a big picture look at uh, Bellator and pay per view and exactly what is going on, and I guess not going on for the world's. Uh, Second largest MMA promotion. Is Bellator the world's second largest MMA promotion? Sure. It is, right? Yeah, it's bigger than one FC. Sure. Well, that's coming up right now, round number three. Ben, as we alluded to in the previous round, uh, this is Bellator's second swing at doing a pay-per-view event. The first time, the whole thing was scuttled by Tito Ortiz's pile of trash neck. Uh, is that what happened? Neck injury? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they had to uh, quick, fast pull that card off pay-per-view and put it on Spike TV for free, which... Uh, Turned out to be one of the best things to happen to, uh, I guess, Bellator fans in a while because we got to watch that, uh, that card for free and, and got to see the Eddie Alvarez, Michael Chandler two fight. Surely more uh, people saw it that way. Absolutely. And now this time we got Eddie Alvarez coming down with a freak concussion, uh, you know, just a week before the fight causing more chaos. Uh, all of which leads me to wonder, should Bellator be trying to do pay-per-view at all? Because so far, shit ain't working out. You know, and it seems like pay-per-view is like the, the holy grail for a lot of MMA fight promotions. And here's one where you got to think maybe Dana White is on to something when he says that uh, it's a lot harder than people think it is to put together a good pay-per-view event that will really sell and not you know, be a loser for you. It seems – I mean, I can understand how people – they. I, I wonder if it's them thinking, hey, we need Bellator to make this money, so 
let's go ahead now or never kind of thing on pay-per-view or if it's a thing where it's almost to prove that you are a big-time MMA promotion because big-time MMA promotions have pay-per-views. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, we talked about this uh, the other day while, while we were hanging out at the brewery with uh, with the casual MMA fan. That's right. Uh, we, we talked about this a little bit, and, and the thought kind of crossed my mind. Sh- is Should Bellator look into other options just because pay-per-view has been so disastrous for it so far? Should one of the things of Bellator and even maybe an advertising strategy of Bellator to be like, hey, you know, unlike our competition, we don't charge you extra money for our best stuff. We just take it all and put it free on Spike TV and try to make money off advertising and everything else. And, and uh, you know, pay- pay-per-view can, can be great for promoters if if – if they sell a lot of units, but it's best for the fans, the, you know, our hardcore Bellator fans who've been sticking with us through thick and thin. It's the best thing for us to do to just put our best fights on Spike TV live and free for them. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that could be a selling point. It also seems that, uh, I can't think that pay-per-view, like the current pay-per-view model that we have where you have these big events, you know, once a month or so where people are paying, 50 or 60 bucks to watch them on TV. Just the way media and media consumption in general seems to be moving, it's hard to see that being around forever as a model that people really do. You know, it seems like that's got to change in some form. Uh, and so what are you necessarily trying to do here if you're Bellator? Like, it doesn't seem like they're so, you know, they got Viacom behind them, so it doesn't seem like you're terribly strapped for cash there, right? Yeah, they got $5 billion in cash. They're sitting on they're, $5 they're, billion they're in sitting, cash. They're sitting on Bjorn Rebney actually has a debit card with access to that account. <laughs> he can just take $5 billion in cash out whenever he wants. Yeah, but then somebody at Viacom would be like, whoa, I feel like the pile I'm sitting on got a little smaller. Bjorn, are you, are you fucking with that debit card? Now, see, I think if Bellator has aspirations to do pay-per-view, uh, it needs to try to do pay-per-view more often in kind of a weird way. Like, I think the thing that really hurts its, its profile on this whole pay-per-view issue is that twice now they've tried to do these kind of like a one-off super shows where they throw together the best possible card that they can do and they put on these, these pay-per-views without a plan for the future. And, you know, the fact that now that they've had to cancel one and, and, uh, significantly rearrange the other one, uh, makes them look small time, frankly. And like, you know, you think, I, I think now we assume that like they're going to do this pay-per-view and, and probably never do another one. Like, I think if you're Bellator and you're serious about doing pay-per-view, you need to get on a normal schedule. Uh, you mean, maybe not as many as the UFC does, but like, if, I think if you want to like, Make a serious run at pay-per-view. You need to do four a year. Like, uh, try to figure it out so that that uh, you know as best you can the these tournaments that that you're still locked into kind of all end at the same time, and then you put the fights where the tournament winner fights the champion for the title would be on pay-per-view. Uh, you know, it's something like that because it just seems like the fact that the company tries to do these sort of one-off cards that twice now have not worked out, I don't think help its profile. Well, you also get into the question of if you do load up these big cards, and especially if you're Bellator and you got that kind of every week model going on, what do you do next week? You know, what do you do after that? What do you do the week before? It, you know, I was watching TV on Friday and watching uh, my dog Marius Zaromsky's fight in Bellator, uh, and I didn't know what the main event was and was kind of wondering, like, oh, I wonder, you know, if there's a good main event tonight. And then you kind of think about it for a second and you realize, well, probably not because they got that pay-per-view next week. And if they had a really good main event, they'd stick it on that because they want to load that thing up. I mean, it seems like they lack the the roster depth to do 
to do both, to do like consistent pay-per-views and also keep to this schedule that they set for themselves. Yeah, and I guess that comes back maybe to the uh, the age-old blight of the small MMA promotion, which is just the lack of depth. Uh, you know, if if the UFC loses a fighter or loses an entire fight to injury or some other unforeseen calamity, it can usually either reload uh, or reshuffle the card in such a way that if it does result in belly aching, well, shit, there's another one next month, man. So, uh, you know, the the things will things will look up. Whereas for Bellator, I think this just comes off as as like a uh, a crisis that almost can't be fixed in a way. And, uh, you know, the thing I talked about earlier where I said maybe the thing Bellator needs to do would be to kind of, uh, eschew pay-per-view in, ter- in, in favor of putting its stuff on, uh, on free TV might be kind of hard to pull off now that you've tried to do pay-per-view and have put forth the image that you can't do it. Yeah. Then if you go and tell people like, Hey, we're the guys that don't charge you extra money that don't, aren't always trying to get a hold of your credit card. Uh, people respond, yeah, because you tried it and, and, you, and you couldn't do it. Like, yeah, you're right that it does kind of take away from, uh, your ability to sell people on that storyline there. You know, I also, I, I have to wonder, uh, if you're thinking about this, this situation, the Eddie Alvarez situation, uh, say that he was not hit in the head by a briefcase full of money. So, you know, it's a, it's a training injury, you know, and it can happen to anybody, that kind of stuff knocks him out of this pay-per-view. At what point do we say Eddie Alvarez is just the best, unluckiest fighter in MMA? Because it just seems like, you know, just always some shit for this guy. Yeah, man. We'll talk about a tough road. Like, <laughs> first they wouldn't let him leave, and then they, uh, then he, you know, he wins the title, which I think was sort of a, uh, uh, I'm sure that he laughed about that later. Uh, <laughs> but now, you know, it's, he's shaping up to finally have this pay-per-view fight where you think he's probably going to make more money than he's made and he's going to get a, you know, a chance to fight Michael Chandler again. And, and, and if he wins, we all assumed roll out the door and sail into the UFC with, with, uh, a, a considerable amount of momentum behind him. And now this, it just seems like, uh, uh, he's one of those guys that can't catch a break, man. Yeah. Well, lastly, I guess before we, we finish up here, uh, Danny Downs mentioned something when we were doing trading shots this week, talking about this Bellator pay-per-view that uh, I think he has a good point where he's talking about the, the apparent like undercurrent of glee that fans and some media have when like bad stuff happens to Bellator. Uh, and why that is because as we've talked about before, MMA could really benefit from having a strong number two, having a competitor to the UFC, somebody to not only uh, give fans an option, but definitely give fighters an option. And then, you know, this thing happens and the attitude is like, oh man, fucking Bellator, here they go again, these guys. It does seem like people take a weird amount of, of joy in that. Yeah, it's... I don't know why is the thing. I, I can't. Well, I think my it's sort of that. like a Keystone Cops type situation now, uh, and especially because we've seen so many contenders to the UFC throne come and then burn out in fantastical ways, right? Like uh, uh, suffer ends that, from the outside looking in, at least appear quite humorous. Uh, <laughs> And so, you know, you kind of maybe expect that from Bellator and, uh, and clearly their mistakes are amplified, I think, because of that perception. Uh, like, like 
the UFC always has the fallback to where if some really bad shit happens or some stuff that's that's ridiculous happens, it can just have Dana White yell at us about it, like right, and kind of like uh, storm through the the crisis in a in a flurry of bluster. Yeah, and Bellator doesn't really have that, you know, like uh. uh it, it doesn't Didn't get a conference call calling Eddie Alvarez a fucking sport killer. Right. It doesn't have that perception and it doesn't have that, that, uh, that profile in the sport and, and, and it doesn't have that figurehead as a guy who, uh, now is endowed with the confidence to think that he can just make us believe whatever. Uh, but you know, all told, I think it's kind of a, of a sad thing and a bad deal for Bellator that, that, uh, and God knows I've probably succumbed to it before, but like, the 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 um the tendency to kind of take glee in their misfortune that's it's kind of too bad yeah because yeah we do we do need if not Bellator exactly we do need somebody there we do need somebody to fill that role uh what do you think would be the best and or worst thing that could happen to Bellator at, at this weekend's pay per view is there a, is there a thing where something might happen where you would come out of it thinking like oh okay well this at least sets up something else or like, is there a happening where you could be like, Oh, even more disaster. Well, you know, if they put on some actually great fights, I think that the thing that you want to come out of a pay-per-view with, if, if not a bunch of fucking money that you made off of people buying it, uh, would be the people who did buy it talking about what a great event it was. And the people who didn't buy it going, damn it. I should have got that one. Yeah, I mean, probably right. And that could give them a lot of momentum, like into the future, especially like if you can get some good fights out of the guys that uh, maybe people aren't expecting that much out of, like guys like Will Brooks or even uh, Shlomenko. You know, if he does find a way to, you know, do some crazy spectacular shit to that giant head of Tito Ortiz's, and you know, something that gives you some kind of forward momentum, because the big problem for Bellator right now is. Uh, if you just have the same, like the same old guys, like if Rampage Jackson goes out there and knocks people out and it's, then it's like, well, we already saw Rampage kind of drummed out the bottom of the UFC. So it's tough for people to get too much renewed interest in him. I mean, you, you need your own guys. You need Bellator guys. Uh, it's something to drive you forward. Yeah. Uh, I think it's kind of a disaster if Will Brooks beats Michael Chandler, but maybe not. I don't know. Cause then you, if you're Bellator, you probably only get one bite at the Eddie Alvarez apple and you kind of would have to have him fight Will Brooks, which wouldn't be quite as, uh, 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 appealing probably as that third fight with Michael Chandler. Here's what I wonder. Like if, if this turns out to be like the best fight card of the year, will people then look at it and be like, well, Bellator totally delivered. Shame on everyone who said this was going to be a shitty card. Sometimes cards that look bad on paper totally deliver. Because I doubt that people would do that. Yeah, I have a hard time, especially in that voice. I have a hard time imagining that. Well, that's pretty much how, in my head, everyone else talks. <laughs> uh, let's do uh, just saying stuff, and uh, then we'll wrap up for this week. Uh, ben, I was looking at uh, the UFC's estimated pay-per-view buy rates for uh, this year and, and 2013. Uh, and I noticed something that I thought was kind of interesting, and that's that uh, the four events that featured George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva during uh, 2013 uh, combined to sell an estimated 3.16 million pay-per-views, okay. uh, which is more than half of the UFC's total pay-per-view buys from last year. Uh, the four events featuring those guys sold 3.16 million, and the rest of the UFC's 2013 pay-per-views, all nine of them, combined to sell 2.92 million pay-per-views, 
which is, uh, I guess, my way of just saying, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chad, I'm just saying, I don't know if you saw this, but according to uh, Dan Henderson's Facebook page, he posted a picture of what appears to be a trampoline on top of his house. Yep, I see it now. Uh, along with the message, just had a tornado at our house, picked up our trampoline and landed on the roof. Crazy. Anyone else in Temecula area have anything? And it didn't sound like they did, which also would make sense because Temecula, California, uh, kind of you know north of San Diego, not known for a really high-frequency tornado uh kind of spot in the united states but then he poses he posts this picture on instagram and it's dan henderson as you see here chad on top that's of, a pretty intense trampoline too yeah, it's a huge trampoline and he's on top of his roof getting the the trampoline off his roof and of course he's got his shirt off and he's looking just fucking ripped up there on the roof of his house i'm just saying it doesn't seem like Dan Henderson is feeling the effects of having to get off the TRT so far. Also, I'm also just saying that this is, I think, a pretty interesting look and just what a day in the life of Dan Henderson might look like. And it kind of seems awesome. Just saying. Just saying. Of course, you're going to take your shirt off when you go to get the trampoline off the roof. Absolutely. You're going to get a little sun up there. Yeah. The reflective qualities of that roof yeah. and I just amplify your suntan. Just going to pop the top, get up there, and take care of this trampoline business. Well, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week to break down all the stuff that happens at the Bellator pay-per-view and look ahead to UFC 173, uh, where Henan Barrow is going to defend the title against TJ Dillashaw. As for right now, though, we're done. We are through. We are out. Now, see... You think that Dan Henderson's wife is buying it, that a tornado came magically came along and put the trampoline up on the roof? Or do you think maybe she's out shopping? She comes home and she's like, oh, Dan. What, what did, you, did do? you do, Dan? Don't you'll never believe it. A tornado swept through here. 